Good morning, Southridge. How's everybody doing on this beautiful day? Awesome, awesome. Hey, if you didn't realize it, we're talking about a boy meets a girl. It's a boy and a girl thing. Um, so we're excited about that. We're in week two, by the way. Um, Pastor Troy, if you're here for the very first time, glad that you're here. We think you are in the exact right spot that God would have you. So hopefully today the service and, and all that happens, we're going to respond in song and worship and giving a little bit later on. And so that's just kind of how we order it here. I want to celebrate a couple things before I jump in the message, though. First one is Servolution. Come on, somebody. Servolution. It was happening here at Southridge yesterday. We, were, we gave away tons of pizza right over here at the Goodwill just as people came in. And everybody kept saying, is it free? Yeah, it's free. It's free. It's free. It's free, you know. And then uh, went around the corner in the entryway at the family fair, and all the youth were giving away free snow cones. Come on. Yeah, and they say, is that free? It's free? Yeah, it's free. It's free. Yeah, you know. Then I drove down to the car wash, pulled up, you know, and they wanted to give me a car wash. I said, you know, I'm not going to be that pastor, you know, that has a car wash and he, you know, show up. And uh, as I'm standing there, some guy pulls up and, and I bet you five times he tried to give me money. I kept saying, it's free. It's free. It's free, you know. And so, and then we did a bunch of uh, bags for the NICU. I always say it wrong. It's neonatal intensive care unit. I can say that better than I can just the four-letter thing there. Um, and we gave 40 different bags and people were loading us. And I seen the stuff that was in the bags. Just to let you know, Southridge Church is cool, and we're blessing people, all right? I mean, it was really, really nice. And then we served meals at the Ronald McDonald House. I mean, a lot of stuff going on. So I, I, I just want to, can we just give it up for all those that served? I mean, man, it is so cool. And by the way, it's, it's free, and we talked about it in prayer before the service today. You know, good things are free. You know, Jesus is free. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's an idea that that's happened. And here's, here's the kicker of it. When you give here at Southridge, we actually set aside money so that we can do it for free. So it isn't like a burden anybody. We can just go out and make it happen. So really, really exciting here at Southridge. The other thing, a little bit more personal, uh, we finally had a baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There she is. It's Juniper Joe. My kids don't know how to name a kid. I don't know what's going on. I just don't know. I mean, we, we have zero normal name kids in the whole grandbaby bunch. You know, maybe it's retaliation for me naming them with T names, right? I don't know. But that's little Juniper, almost eight pounds. And uh, so she, she's adorable. My, my two-year-old granddaughter, Loxley, is, is 100% convinced that it's her baby. To the point where she bit her mom's finger when she tried to take the baby away from the other day. We have it on video. We have proof that this is the way it is. But anyway, we're excited about a new grandbaby. That's grandbaby number six, by the way. So it's amazing that a guy 37 can have that many grandkids, right? Right? Yeah. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Yeah. What? Hey, uh, thank you so much for all the the words and gifts for my birthday last week. You guys are just a real blessing. Thank you. Well, I want to jump into the message, uh, have uh, a little bit to say, you know, a little bit to talk about in this Boy Meets Girl series. Today, we're going to talk about getting naked, or I, I wrestle with the title, when is a good time to get naked? You know, what's up with getting naked? I mean, just all these, but we're just going to, we're going to talk about getting naked today. And so every summer, here's what we do. We take a few weeks, if you're new to Southridge, and we talk about our sexuality. Uh, a lot of times the church ignores this topic, 
uh, hoping that maybe it'll go away or get better or something will happen. We, we take just the opposite approach here. We try to go head f- straight at it, head on straight at it. And so we talk about our sexuality, how it relates to our spirituality and our spiritual journey. And the, and the two are connected. You can't separate those two things. It is who we are. God created us that way. And so this series is PG-13. I'm looking around just to let you know if there's any little ones, especially today, we're going to talk about some stuff. Uh, and, and I just, you know, I say the encourage, um, uh, it's PG-13, but for parents, I, I, I said it last week, and I just feel like I need to say it again. Have the talk with your kids. Talk about it. Don't, don't hope that somehow they get it by just walking around. Because here's what's going to happen if you do that. There's going to be a fifth or sixth grade boy or girl that's going to teach them about these things. And they probably don't know really well. Okay? So go ahead and get aggressively and, and intentional about your creation, uh, having that conversation before it happens. All right? So here's what we're doing. We're exploring some of the big challenges in the boy meets girl world. And, and my personal disclaimer last week, I just, you know, I said, hey, I don't, I don't have all the answers. You know, I'm, I'm just a regular guy. And today, I was thinking about my disclaimer for today. I could easily talk to you about all the things not to do. You know, how many of you with me there? Don't leave me hanging here. How many of you could say, all right, so I'm talking to the right people. Most of you raise your hand. I know what not to do, you know, right? We, and so I uh, could easily do that. And, and I'm really trying in this series to not just give my opinion, but really stay in this idea of what God wants to do. What's God's perspective on this? Because here's, here's what we don't need. We don't need another opinion. We actually need truth. And Jesus said, and we said it last week, that truth sets you free. And so hopefully that we can find this truth in this boy meets girl world that we live in that's part of who we are, and it can set us free, that we can find freedom in doing that. So here's, here's our key text, Psalm 139. It says, You, speaking of God, made all the delicate inner parts of my body. Just pause there for a second. It goes beyond my heart, my, my lungs, and all those things to actually shaping me into either a boy or a girl. That God made me this way. And so I just have to understand that there's a hand of creation that's part of who I am sitting here today, that God's part of that. Inner parts of my body knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me who I am. I just want to say that today again. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. And we're going to switch it up today. Tell the person next to you, you are marvelous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, last week we told everybody you're complex. We're going a little nicer this week. You're, you're marvelous, right? You're marvelous. How well I know it. And that's hopefully our goal for this series, that we would know that. We would figure that out. Verse 15, you watched me as I was being formed in other seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. And and, and really, it was more than just watching. He was actually active in that. Uh, And it goes on. It says, you saw me before I was born, and every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And really what that means is all that is we are boy and girl for a reason. And it's all part of God's divine plan. And so today, whether or not not you accept that or realize that or or gravitate to this truth, that you are part of a divine plan and and, and who you are as a boy or a girl, that God shaped you, made you, you you are exactly what he wanted you to be. Now you're saying, man, what a mess, what a... What a, 
what a frailty, what a, you know, and that's, that's true, but God wants us to trust him in our weakness so that we can realize what it means to have a creative God actively part of who we are as a person. And then also, and I, I want to say this, I said it last week, and I just, I think sometimes we need to hear this, you're not a mistake. You're not a mistake. You know, um, I mentioned that many of you know my story, I was adopted, you know, my mom had me out of wedlock you know, 18 years old back in the 60s, you know, and, and I struggled most of my growing up years to who, who, where do I belong? I must be a mistake. My mom had me in the heat of a moment with a guy that she didn't really like, and here I am. And see, some of you might have a similar story where you look at your beginning moment, your beginning story, and think, wow, what a mistake. There's no mistake in the room. There's no mistake in the room. And so if you're even remotely wrestling with that in your head, that you were an accident, that you shouldn't even be here, that what's the point? That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. You're not a mistake. And so hopefully you hear that today. So last week we kicked off the series talking about the Boy Meets Girl basics. If you weren't here, you can go back and listen to it on the podcast. And we explored five words. I'll just give them to you real quick as a review that are important to our understanding of Boy Meets Girl. You are created. We are created. We're created with intrinsic value, not external value. In other words, before anything ever happened in Adam, he was already valuable because the image of God was in him. And that's how it is for us. And when we lose sight of that, things go bad. The second word we talked about was order, that there is a divine order or sequence or, or plan, if you will, of what God is doing. And if I live according to God's created idea and his order, then the third word comes alive, and that's fulfillment. I find fulfillment, that I'm actually fulfilled and satisfied and contented. And many of us here today are discontented and dissatisfied. It could possibly be that I'm not fully walking in what God created me to be and according to his order. That could very well be. And so that was the third word was fulfillment. And then the fourth word was sadly broken, that we're all broken, that we're all in this story, same story of brokenness, that, that, that the, the built-in nature of who we are because of Adam and Eve, you can blame them all day long. It's their fault. It's true, but it's still who you are, and it's who I am. As we've got this broken thing happen, and so it creates problems. And so brokenness isn't left undone. God says in his grace and his mercy that I will restore you. And it started in the garden when he gave Adam and Eve their first covering. And so we talked about all those things. And so there was a huge assumption, I want to give it to you again today, is that the boy meets girl relationships that all of us have or want to have or, or have had, they succeed when we become fully aware of God's plan. I become aware. I, I, I finally understand, oh, this is what God's doing. This is what he wants to do in my life. I, I become aware of that, but awareness by itself is not enough. I need to be aware and connected to it. In other words, I'm embracing it. I'm embracing this plan that God has for me, so I'm aware of what God's doing, but I'm at the same time embracing what he's wanting to do, and out of that comes relational success at levels that most of us only dream of, and that's the assumption that we're making from this whole series. So today, I, I want to talk about getting naked, you know, some, some of the guys probably now we're talking, you know, finally, we're going to talk about what matters, right? You know, getting naked. So I was thinking about getting naked, and, and, and this is, I, I think, and, and hopefully I'm not just putting myself up here as some really weird guy, right? 
Some of you are laughing, you don't even know what I'm going to say yet, <laughs> right? But I, growing up, normal boy, I thought as a young man, and it started very early in my life. I mean, I, I had a, a moment when I was in sixth grade that I wish I could get rid of that utterly shocked my mom and threw me into a tailspin of shame in the sixth grade. I mean, that's, it was just one story. But I thought growing up that the goal that I had as a young man was to get naked with a girl. I, t- I just thought that. And, and I even lived that out. I mean, I, if you, sadly, I mean, my story growing up was very promiscuous. You guys say it. I can't say it. All right? And so, uh, you know, I, that was part of who I was, you know, and I, and I thought that was normal. I, I thought that was what you do. And, and, and by the way, uh, young ladies, especially in the room, a lot of guys still think that. So know that going in. I used to always tell my girls when they're younger, guys, before they're 25, think below the waist. Just, just, just you know, that's, there's some reality there, all right? And so th- this idea of, of getting naked in the wrong way was always a part of my story growing up. I mean, it just became part of it. But then as you come to a relationship with Christ, you begin to realize that maybe there's something more to it. Maybe, th- maybe there's a bigger picture. Maybe there's something that I could be aware of and connect with that would actually bring fulfillment in relationship instead of something that's not really going anywhere. And so that's, that's my own story, and that's what's happened for Jennifer and I. So here's, I'm going to give a couple kinds of nakedness. And these are the biblical things. Read Genesis 1 through 3, you can see them. And what it is, is there's a contrast between what God created us to be and what ended up happening. And they have both in them the story of our nakedness or what God would hope it to be. All right? So, so here's the first kind of nakedness, and that is naked and shame-free. Naked and shame-free. Genesis 2.25, it says, Now the man and his wife were both, say it with me, naked, but they felt no, say that with me, they felt no shame. So, so, so God had this plan that we would be shame-free in our nakedness. That was part of the plan from the very beginning, that we would experience our sexuality without shame in the context of marriage, which God actually, in that verse there, is the first ceremony, if you will, of a united couple. God was there. He was the efficient, if you will, in that, in that whole story. And, and they were free of condemnation. They were free of guilt. And God wants you and I to experience the joy of sexual in, in, intimacy without the pain or the regret of shame. That's God's plan, to be shame-free, to, to be a part of this. And, and, and by the way, just so you know, God's not the killer of sex. God's actually the designer of sex. God's not trying to get you to a point where you don't enjoy sexuality and have this incredible experience that God wants you to have. That's not God's heart. God's heart is, though, that it would be shame-free, that somehow it would be free of these things. See, nakedness is a gift of God that he's given to humanity. Animals can't get naked. They is. Right? I mean, think about it. I mean, we is the only ones that get naked like that. I mean, that's just how it happens. There's something special about what we have as an opportunity as human beings. And so Adam and Eve then were naked, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually as well. 
There was this openness and there was this purity that was part of who they were. There was no shame in their hearts and no stain on their souls. That's who they were. That's what God had planned for them. And he still has the same plan. God didn't say, well, I changed my plan. He still has the same plan that we would be shame-free in our nakedness. And, and I, I just asked the question, why, why did they not feel or sense any shame in the garden? Why did they not? I mean, it was like the first nudist camp thing, you know, and they were there. Why, why did they not have this, this sense of shame or whatever that was going on? And here's what I think is a very simple answer, is that nothing that they had done needed to be covered. Nothing they had, to be a part, they had been a part of needed them to be covered. It was pure. It was open. It was transparent. It was exactly what God wanted them to be in that situation. And so it reminded me of a psalm. I, I don't think I have it in your notes, but Psalm 85. I was praying through it yesterday as we were getting ready for the service. And David cried out, and he said, grant, grant me, Lord, purity of heart. Grant me purity of heart, that somehow that would be a part of who they were. So, so that's the first one. Here's the second kind, though, and I think this one then becomes part of all of our stories, is that we are naked and shameful. Naked and shameful. Genesis 3, 7 says at that moment, so the story goes forward and God had created the man and the woman. They were together and all the different things and encouraged you to read the story. And then the serpent came along and said, hey, God didn't really want that. There's something better over here. He's deceiving you. But really what was happening is the devil was deceiving them into thinking that God's way wasn't the best way. That's the simple of it. And it says then in verse 7, at that moment when she took of the... They ate of the apple, which, by the way, is interesting because it has to do with an attraction and a desire for something that isn't necessarily the right place, the right time, the right way in in relationship to God. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. They were shameful. And so after the fall, they and us, all of us included, you're, you're not excluded. Every one, of, every one of us are under the curse of shame. It doesn't take too long until you start biting your mother's fingers and tell them, this is my baby. Right? I didn't ever teach her that. I mean, it's something that was innate. It was part of who they were, who we are. And so they, they fall under the curse. And shame has then this way about it. In all of us. And I was thinking about shame and, and what it does. And, and, I, and I feel like I have some understanding in shame. I think it makes us feel really defeated. I think some of us here today are feeling really defeated because of the shame of sexually being outside of what God wanted to do. We're just defeated. There's no confidence. There's no strength. There's no authority. There's, there's no backbone. There's nothing there. I'm just defeated. Shame defeats us. I, th- I think another thing that shame does is shame makes us have distance between the ones that we really want to have closeness with and God. It creates distance. That we're just distant. We're, we're far from God. and we, I mean, We're going through the motions. We're acting all the right ways. But really in our hearts, because of the shame of what we're talking about, I'm shameful. It's, I'm defeated. I'm distant. And that's just how it is. I can't even interact in the relationships that I'm supposed to because of this. And then the other one is, is I think we feel dirty. 
I know many times, you know, you hear the story of a young girl that thought what she really wanted was to just finally have that, that loving moment with her 14, 15-year-old boyfriend, whatever it might be. And afterwards, she didn't feel loved and valued. She actually felt dirty. Because that's what shame does. Shame, shame has its way of, of working itself into the depths of our hearts. And so it's very dangerous, shame. And, and so... Here's a couple of thoughts about the dangers of shame. And the, and the first one is this. If I stay in shame, it's very easy for me to become desensitized to shame. I get used to it. I get used to the same way, the same way, the same way, the same way. And I get desensitized. I get desensitized to the shame that should cause me to cry out to God and say, Oh, God, help me. I, I want to be in a different place. I want to be a different person. I, somehow, I mean, even though I want that, but I'm really doing something about it. But it, it makes me become desensitized to it. Ephesians 4.19 says, They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. So this idea that, that if I don't deal with my shame, that it can very easily become desensitized, and I'm just kind of even deeper in it. Here's, here's, here's the next one, and this one's even more scary. Dangers. We're talking danger. Danger, danger. You know, there's a cliff. Don't play Pokemon and walk off the cliff. Right? Anyway, yeah. But this, this danger moment, desensitized, and, but the second one I think is even more dangerous than being desensitized. You think, wow, that's pretty serious. But it's this, is we can be given over to go wherever our shame leads us. In other words, what happens is I become so desensitized, I just go wherever it leads me. I'm just going to say something real quickly. I think a lot of our culture is here. A lot of our culture is in this place where we've become desensitized. And now, in a scary way, we've actually been given over to going wherever it leads. Scary, scary place. goes on, it says, here, here's a scripture, Romans chapter 1, it says, verse 24. So God, because, and here's an interesting uh, context to verse 24 here, is that right before that, you know what they were doing that they should have been doing that they didn't? Was recognizing God's creative authority and purpose that's the very context of what was going on they didn't recognize this created order of what he was doing and then it came to the point where God says and here's what it says so God abandoned them he gave them over to do whatever shameful things their hearts desire and as a result they did violent degrading things with each other's bodies and so it's pretty dangerous I think some of us have experienced some of the dangers of it so, but, but what does God want to do? What's, what's God's desire for us? I mean, is it, is it God's desire? Like, well, you know, man, doggone it, we tried. I was hoping you could make it. <laughs> hoping you could get through this, you know. I mean, I know, man, at 14 you weren't too smart, but, you know, I mean, here you are. I mean, no, I think God is just the opposite. He's like, I want to do something about it. I have a plan. I still, I still have a plan. And a desire for you. And I, I was drawn to Isaiah chapter 61. I just want to walk through it real quick. It says this in verse 3. It says, To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes. Now, I just want to pause there. I think some of us here today understand the mourning of shame and 
the mourning of distance and the mourning of being dirty, the mourning of being in places and parts of my life that I wish I wasn't. And, and God is saying, hey, to you who mourn, who have come to that place where you're at the end of yourselves and it's painful, he said, I got you. I got you. He says, I will give a crown of beauty for ashes. In other words, all the, all the ugly, nasty junk, I'm going I'm to transition that. I'm going to change it out. I'm going to switch it. I'm going to take the ashes of your life and actually make it beautiful. I'm going to take the shame of your life and turn it into something that's really cool. That's what my desire is for you, that I, you would go from ashes to beauty. And then it goes on, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. Just thinking about it in the context of where we're having this conversation today. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. Instead of defeated, I'm strong. Instead of beat down, I'm confident. Instead of thinking, I don't know if it's ever going to get any better, I'm getting stronger. It's, it's, it's worthwhile. He said, Man, that's what I want for you. That's what I have for you. And it gets very specific in verse 7. It says, instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double share of honor. How many would like some of that? Yeah, I mean... Instead of this shame thing that's all over me, I'm actually going to have this, this double portion, this double heaping. You know, I, I, I go to ice cream. I love ice cream. It's like I didn't get a little tiny bowl. You know, sometimes they scoop bowls of ice cream. And they hand it to you and go, all right, great. Thanks for the ice cream. You know, but then if it was me scooping it, <laughs> come on, somebody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that double portion, you know, I, I want you just to feel the fullness of this thing. And God's, that's what God's saying. And he goes on, he says, You will possess a double portion of prosperity in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. See, God's, God's plan for us isn't that we stay in that shameful situation. It never has been God's plan that we would stay there. See, God's plan for your life and my life is not to be lost in a sea of shame and despair, but God wants us to be able to live without the shame and be naked. And again, I'm not talking about being comfortable at a nudist beach or walking around in your house in a buff. I'm talking about you in relationship. That there's a very confident feeling of what's going on there. And it's not what we just talked about. So what's God want? Here's the fill in the blank. God wants us to experience the reverse of the curse. Let's all say that together. The reverse of the curse. That's what God wants to do in us. And so I want to just take a few moments and talk about what that might look like and what we need to deal with to get there. The reverse of the curse. And I think there's some things that we need to consider. I think there's some things that we need to... um, wrestle with okay i mean either what we've done in the past or what we're doing right now or maybe what we look forward to doing tomorrow we need to consider these things and we need to wrestle with these things so that we can reverse the curse now obviously and we're going to talk about at the end the the ultimate reverse of the curse is jesus jesus is the one that is able to change everything and we're going to we're going to conclude at that point in just a few moments but but there's some things that we need to talk about before we get naked and when we're trying to find true intimacy and so let me just kind of hit on three of them here today and the first one is this is that we need to embrace perfect timing 
How many of you, if you could go back, you'd change some of the timing of what you've done in life? Yeah. I mean, I'd change a lot of it. I'd change when I did that and how I did that. I mean, I'd change some timing. But this idea of embracing timing, Proverbs, and it's kind of an interesting scripture in regards to what we're talking about here. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4 says, Those too lazy, no effort, to plow in the right season will have no food at the harvest. Let me, let me interpret that for our moment. Those who aren't willing to wait until it's time will not experience the fullness of the relationship that God wants you to have. Those that get ahead of God in this whole idea of sex before it's time, it, 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 it's not going to work the way that we, God had planned for us. We're going to find ourselves in a place of shame instead a place of shame free. And so all of all the things that that create shame, the failure to consider how sex and our nakedness before its time affects us is huge. It's huge. Millions of people are covered in shame simply because they jumped the gun on nakedness. I would suspect if statistics are true, and I don't know that us here in this room are any different, that that's the majority of us. The majority of us here have jumped the gun, so to speak, on our nakedness. And because of that, we're in this shame place. We, we're struggling with the curse more so because we haven't addressed this idea and this thought of our timing before the Lord. And see, most relationships struggle today because, we, because naked came too early in the story. Naked was too much part of the story. We tried to stick before it's time. You guys hopefully have always see, have seen the thing about how you take a piece of duct tape and this is you, and when you have sex, you stick, and I should have pulled it off a couple times, you know, and pulled it off a couple times, pulled it off a couple times. And because I did it so many times before that time that God wanted me to be together in relationship with a wife or a husband forever, I can't stick very well. I embraced before it was time. I got, I got involved before it was the right time. And so we try to stick before it's time. And we try one plus one plus one plus one plus one plus one plus one, plus one hoping one of those will somehow equal one in me. And it just doesn't work. Our timing's terrible. Our timing is terrible, and so because of that, we're, we're in this situation. So I've got to address the timing. I've got to understand that there might be something to be said about just understanding the timing of what God wants to do. He has order. He has sequence. He has timing. Maybe God knows best, and maybe we wouldn't be in such a mess. And so we're, many of us are trying to search for some immediate physical pleasure that will somehow fill the spiritual void that I can't get away from. It just doesn't work that way. We think that immediately, if I just do this immediately, if I just fulfill the pleasure or the desire, it just messes it up. We think that sexual activity now equals love tomorrow. It doesn't work that way. Can I get an amen from somebody? It just, it just doesn't work that way. It, 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 it's fleeting. It's this timing idea. See, sex is not the foundation of a great relationship. Jesus is the foundation of a great relationship. I mean, and so we just get lost in this timing thing and we get lost in what's going on. And so waiting for the perfect time is many times the biggest challenge is staying shame-free. So that's the first one. We need to consider timing. Second one is we need to address the intimacy blockers. The intimacy blockers. 
or obstacles. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. It says, we, try to dest- we, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. Let me, let me just kind of back out a little bit and see what that's saying. We're, we're, we need to get rid of the things that keep us from intimacy. We need to get rid of the things that keep us from being able to be intimate in marriage, from being able to be intimate in a future marriage. We, we need to address these things that maybe are causing some problems now so we can't be shame-free when we need to be. We're actually shameful. And it goes on, we, need, we capture their rebellious thoughts. And it's actually many times in our head that it starts. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. We submit them or surrender them to Christ. And so there are things that block our ability to experience shameless intimacy. And let me just hit a few of them. There's more than what I've got on here, but here's, here's, here's a few of them. And the first one, and maybe the biggest, is pornography. Pornography. And some people believe wrongly that porn adds to intimacy in marriage. It doesn't. Pornography doesn't make your marriage intimacy better. It makes it worse. It, 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 it messes with it. And actually what it does is it creates a fantasy detachment from the real intimacy you were created to have. In other words, your mind is some fairy tale land over here when you should be investing in the reality of what is here. And it detaches you from what's going on. Pornography. And if you understand God's math for intimacy, here's God's math for intimacy. One plus one equals, anybody want to do it with me? One. <laughs> That's how God does math. And so if God, God says it's one plus one equals one, there's no room for a third party. There's no room for pornography. There's no room for those things to be a part of this idea of what God has put together. And so it's an intimacy blocker. It's actually something that's getting in the way, not helping. See, pornography says you can feel and experience intimacy without making a personal investment. That's a lie. Pornography strips sex and nakedness of its God-designed significance. It destroys intrinsic value, and it makes us into objects. And by the way, I'm not just talking to guys because right now the climb of pornography among women is growing at extraordinarily high rates right now. So it's, it's, it's crossing the, the gender boundaries, if you will. Pornography is self-serving. Watching porn is self-centered, using people for your own pleasure, which then usually leads to masturbation, which is actually having sex with yourself. So, I mean, it's, it's not healthy. It's a blocker. It's not helping you in intimacy. It's actually stealing your intimacy. And so we have to understand there's a blocker here. See, pornography actually provides fuel to lust. And lust always says more, more, more. Never satisfied, never contented. There might be a reason for some of us in our marriages that you might be having a discontented thing because you still have links or connections to pornography in your past or in your present. And it will mess with you. It will mess with you. It's convincing ourselves, this lust idea in pornography, that that what I want and what I need is somehow over there. It's not right here. It's over there. And so what happens many times, and this is where it talks about in Scripture, it says that you should be uh, satisfied, pardon the language, but this is biblical, with the breasts that God has given you. 
meaning your wife, the one that's with you, that there should be that part of it. But what happens is I get this idea that somehow it's over there, and lust will tell you that the greatest sex is not with your spouse or your future spouse. It's actually with the next person or the person right now or the next image, and the answer is run, run, run. Run. It says flee from sexual immorality. Run away from it. Don't, don't even give it a second in your mind. Don't even give it a second in that conversation. Just run. Because it's so deadly to your ability to have intimacy in real relationships. Here's the second one. is unfaithfulness. That intimacy is based on trust. And many of us have experienced the pain of broken trust. We have been the one on the one end or the other end of someone cheating. And I don't have to talk to you today about what that does to trust. it, It blocks intimacy because I was unfaithful. See, sex outside of marriage is always cheating. It breaks and blocks the pathways of intimacy because it breaks trust. And so what's the answer? i got to give myself more than anything else to trust building. got to build trust. Here's, here's the third one is unforgiveness. Marriages, vows, they always say something like this, I will always love you. I'm forever yours. And then a few years down the road, they weren't forever mine. Right? They, they bailed. Something happened. That wasn't true. The, the, I, will, I will always love you, or you're the only one for me. Well, obviously, I wasn't the only one for you. There was somebody else. Or, or here's the one that maybe goes with young people and deciding to have sex. It's okay because we love each other. They realize it wasn't okay. Realize it wasn't that great, and it wasn't all that it was dreamed to be, and so it, it, it loses sight. And so in that moment, we become in a place where there's bitterness and anger and resentment and unforgiveness. And so if I'm going to have intimacy and relationship and intimacy in my home or the future where I've got to understand this value of forgiveness, to be forgiven and to forgive, or I'm going to end up living in anger, bitterness, resentment, and reaction to everything else and never find what God wants for me. And by the way, understand this clearly. Forgiveness does not mean to condone. It doesn't mean that. You're not saying it's okay. You're saying I, I'm, forgive, I'm being forgiven or I'm going to forgive. All right. So, and then the last one is abuse. Maybe you have been abused sexually in the past and you were in an abusive relationship. And now as a survival protection tactic, you're keeping yourself from trusting anyone. And I just want to say to you really specifically, and I, I, I have a feeling that there's a lot of you in the room. There's a lot of shame that comes from abuse. And the answer isn't ignore it. The answer isn't hope it goes away, I'll forget it. The answer is that you would be healed. That you would be healed. Like, well, how do I get healed? Well, you can't heal yourself. But Jesus can heal you. When I come to Jesus and I say, Lord, this is where I'm at. The only answer for, for you and for me and for anybody else that's been through some abusive things going up, growing up is you have to be healed. 
There needs to be healing. So you cry out for healing from him. Nobody else, no other thing will satisfy that. Last one is the worship team begins to make their way up. Is that I'm going to embrace perfect timing. I'm going to address the intimacy blockers. And I'm going to acknowledge that the yoke is no joke. Let's say that together. The yoke is no joke. I think we might have to do a whole series on this. One thought right here. The yoke is no joke. In other words, it's basing your sex life on commitment, not just convenience or consumerism. In other words, it feels good in a moment or what I'm going to get out of it. There's a commitment. There's, there's a commitment, and, and it's asking a question. Am I getting naked in the context of a lifelong commitment or in the heat of a moment? If you bring just the volume down just a little bit. Uh, am, I, am I doing it just to get a sense of pleasure right now, or am I actually trying to position myself for a lifelong commitment of intimacy? The yoke is no joke. That's why God set it up, by the way. He, he knew that this is where it happens best. This is where the context of what we really want and what we really need happens. It says this in Genesis 2.24. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother is in, and joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. So here's the problem. though. The problem is, is we don't fully leave and we don't fully join. We, we don't give this idea of the yoke is no joke high enough visibility in who we are as people. We don't, we don't throw it up there high enough. We, we make it all about feelings instead of a promise, and we don't understand the importance of a covenant when we say we do or I do. It's, it's a promise. I'm not promised that I'm going to always feel this way. I'm promised that I'm always going to be here. See, some of us have confused this. We, we've gotten to the point where we think it's just a feeling. I don't feel like I love you anymore. It's not about how you feel. It's about whether or not you promised or not. It's whether or not you are covenanting, uh, cov- putting it into a covenant to be a part of that relationship or not. You're going to fight for that. You know when I ask people that are struggling in marriage, the first question I ask them, are you willing to fight for this? Because if you made a promise, boy, you better be ready to fight. You better be ready. Sink your, your feet down on the ground and say, let's go. Let's bring it on. Not them, but fight against it getting tore up. Fight against it getting lost because the yoke is no joke. And the thing that God wants to do in marriage is beautiful and powerful. And every act of the devil is going to try to get you off center. I made a promise. You know what kept Jennifer and I together these 32 years? It wasn't that she was so great. She's not. She's not here, but she's not that great. It's not that I was that great. I'm not. I mean, you guys know me. It's that we promised. We said, we do. And in the covenant and in the commitment of marriage, we have fallen in love. She's my best friend. She's my best friend. She's my intimate partner. Why? Because... We always had a good feeling. <laughs> Man, I have feelings. I don't even know if they're illegal for her sometimes, right? Come on. But the yoke was no joke. The commitment wasn't just, oh, well, it wasn't, hey, if it works, it works. I got plan B. 
You see, some of you, it, it, it didn't work out right. Well, hey, from this moment forward, let's understand the value of commitment. I, I've been living this other story. I understand that. A lot of us are in that story. A lot of us, that's, that is our story. See, many of us are struggling to find fulfillment in our nakedness because we're struggling with our commitment. Am I committed? And I just want to let you know, this is just me in a pastoral home. Right now, there's marriages that are struggling in our church. You know what I realize is that many of them have forgot the promise. Did you promise? Is your word worth anything? Is your commitment? I'm not asking if you feel a certain way because the feelings will come and go. I'm assuming that because you came together in the first place that there was something that drew you together. And if you made a promise before God that there was a joining together, then stick it out. Come on, fight for it. The yoke is no joke. I'm all in. And see, millions of people today have crossed the line by getting naked with someone out of the context of marriage, and it's causing all kinds of problems. And see, I think God has better. So, close. If we will consider these things, God wants you to be shame-free, not shameful. We would consider this idea that God wants to take my ashes and turn them into something beauty. That he would take all the junk of my history and make it beautiful. We consider that. We would consider timing that maybe I need to slow down. Maybe I need to confess where I was going way too fast and how much problem it's caused. Maybe I need to deal with some of those blockers today, I'm going to consider those blockers. I'm going to consider the yoke. I'm going to consider the fact that I've, I've always got my back pocket plan B. Man, you need to get that out of your pocket and throw that thing away. We might actually find intimacy. You might actually be able to reverse the curse. And maybe, maybe, with God's help, you can move from being shameful to being shame-free. From being in a place where you seem to be defeated and distanced and dirty and, and can't seem to find intimacy to somehow finally I'm finding intimacy the way God planned it. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 it says that Jesus rescued us from the curse. He rescued me from the shame. He already did it. He already did it. Matter of fact, it says in Scripture that he became shame for us. He was put on the cross naked in shame. Why? That he might take your place and my place. That all I would do, that somehow I would allow his provision, his placement of shame on the cross to be my covering. Lord, cover me. That's the starting point. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Maybe today, as your heart is bowed before the Lord, you say, man, my life is more shameful than shame-free. God's calling me. God's wanting to turn my ashes into beauty, and I know that all I need to do is somehow come to the point where I can just accept what He's done for me on the cross, that He became shame for me, and I accept that nothing I did, it's free. 
and I accept it today wholeheartedly that I might be forgiven, that I might be made new, that I might start a new story, that I might start a new chapter in my life in intimacy, whether it be with that future spouse or the husband or wife that I have right now, that, Lord, it's going to be a part of who I am. And so, Lord, I'm crying out to you right now in Jesus' name. If that's you, would you just lift your hand and say, I'm crying out to the Lord. Lord, take my shame, take my past, take my present, and make it new. If that's you, would you just wave your hand? Just let me... Let me see your hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lord, every hand that was raised, God, may you do the work. Lord, may we commit ourselves to you first and foremost. May we receive what's already happened on the cross, that, Lord, we're forgiven in you, not because we deserve it, but simply because your grace and your mercy is that good. And so, Lord, have your way in us, God. Have your way in us, in our marriages, in our future marriages, in our relationships. God, have your way, God, that we might experience the fulfillment of intimacy your way. Lord, we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.